like to welcome you all here today, and um, especially like to welcome those who are visiting with us today. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon this time together. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together to study your word. Lord, you want us to hear and to be changed by your word. Lord, so open our ears that we would hear your word, Father. Open our hearts to receive your word, Father. Change our wills to do your word, O oh God. Lord, that we would be the very best we can be to bring you glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Okay. Now, last week we had a discussion on, and we started discussing things like uh, what makes uh, a church an authentic, life-transforming community. <clears throat> and we talked about the elements that make a church uh, an authentic, life-transforming community. Church is mean, meant to be something that actually changes our lives, that changes the way we do things. And so last week we looked at um, some of those aspects of the authentic, life-transforming community. We, we looked at Deuteronomy, and we noted that in Deuteronomy there was... Uh, a number of uh, people that the Israelites were meant to drive out of the land. And uh, we, we took these parallels from there. We, we said um, a life-transforming community is a, a community that has a commitment or a community of faith. It's a community of pure and holiness. It's, it's, if you go to the next slide, guys. Um, it's a God-seeking truthful community it's a, a generous community it's a disciplined community it's a life-changing or life-changed community and it's an uplifting healing community a community of peace so we looked at those things and i want you to ask yourself a question today and i and i want you to particularly write in your book hi guys did you get one of those books pick up one of the notepads at the one with the red corners on it if you want a small one the small one's okay if you want a big one you can have a bigger one and that's fine you take the big ones, they're fine. And, the, and just um, small one, that's good for ladies like the small ones. Okay, now what I want you to do, in, in ask yourself this question. So you can write this um, in, in, your, in your notepad. So the question is, as I'm being transformed, God is developing in my life, dot, 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 to benefit the community. So I want you to write that in. I'll just take the time now and write that in because I want you to think about that and ask yourself the question, what part of my life is now being developed or transformed by God? It's a, I mean, it's not enough for us to just to come here and just talk about this stuff. I mean, this has to be some sort of practical application of this in our lives. So ask yourself the question, as I'm being transformed or as I'm being changed, God is developing in my life and it may be he may be developing faith in your life. Remember those things that we talked about before. Faith is being developed. Your beliefs are being developed. Or he might be developing holiness in your life. Or he may be developing uh, you know, a real desire to seek the truth. Or there may be a development of a generosity of spirit. God is taking you somewhere in terms of giving that, that you've never been before. And it's changing the way you do life. It's the changing the way you are. It may be that God is actually causing you to be more disciplined in your life and you're having to get up earlier in the morning or stay up later at night or read through stuff that you wouldn't normally do or turning off the TV. There may be some discipline that God is bringing into your life. There may be some sort of change that's taking place in your life that you're bringing about in your life because God's asking you to change in your life. 
You may be involved in a healing way, in, in a ministry, lifting up people, encouraging people, comforting people. What is it that God is actually doing in your life? I want you to actually be able to say that, you know. Like, so ask the question, write it down there, and then as we're going along this week, think about that. And, and, and next Sunday, or next Saturday night, as we talk about it, maybe some of that stuff will start to come together for us, so that we're not passive. I think the worst thing that we can be is passive. Not moving, inactive. God wants us to be actively doing something about our lives, you know, actively changing our lives. It's not enough to say, well, I've reached it. I mean, I don't think any of us have reached that place where we can say, I don't need to be changed or I don't need to be transformed somehow by God. We're all in the process of change. We're all broken. We're all broken and, and somehow stuffed up and God is wanting to fix us up and we're all in the process of being fixed up by his Holy Spirit. And so... What is it that he's fixing up in your life particularly? What is it that God's working in your life? Okay. So we're talking today about an authentic, life-transforming community. And I want to focus on the word authentic. And I'm going to ask a couple of questions because... And the mics, of course, I've gave them to me. <laughs> Here's a question. What do we mean by authentic? Just... Put your hand up if you want to give me a definition for authentic. What, what is meant by the word authentic? I'll put your hand up and down the back there. This is uh, Wendell. Uh, turn it on. No, no, but what, I want to be able to record it so that people can hear it. You know. Now, there you go. Let's try that. Morning, everyone. Uh, Good morning, yeah, Wendell. I just think uh, it means real. It means real. Yeah. Authentic is something that is real. Can you give me some more synonyms for that? Fair dinkum. Uh, that Australian colloquialism is fair dinkum. An original. Original. An original. So it comes from a, like a, an original part for an, a, a car. It's an original part. You know, you have to have an authentic part for your vehicle if you don't have an authentic part there they say your warranty is void okay anybody else ruby different special different special jade an illustration that kind of came to my mind is something that's not pumped out of like a um it's not copied. It's not, yeah, it's not a copy. It's like a, a handmade kind of one of a kind. Kind one of a kind, handmade, not copied, yeah. It has a value over something else and also, um, like, if I translate it in Spanish, like, authentic always has, like, um, like a value behind it. Yeah. Like, um, it's worth you will something. give you will give you know, like a letter, yeah. like if it's a, a diamond and something like that, you will give a letter saying the value. Of okay, the so it's something that authenticizes. It, 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 it will make it different than any yeah. other one. Okay, so you, yeah, so what I'm think I understand you're saying is, if you have a diamond, you have a letter that says this is a diamond, and that authentic that makes that authentic because it says this has been tested, this has been proven, this is actually what it is. This leather what's the word i'm looking for it's a genuine piece it authenticates it okay anybody else one more 
opposite generic. Uh, opposite to generic. Opposite to generic. It's something that's particular. Okay. So this is what the dictionary said. Authentic means. What does authentic mean? It says it's not false. It's not fake or copied. It's trustworthy. It's reliable. It's valid and effective. It's in style of original period. So that's this idea of um, uh, original piece. So it's like... a. And I put the word radical there because radical means to return to the root. So when you get the word radical, if, if you're going back to, you want to see what it's really like, you go back to the root to see what the root was like because that's what this has got to be like. If you go back to the original item, if you've got a Toyota car and you're going to put a new um, air filter in it and they ask you, because it's broken down, is it an, uh, uh, an authentic, it has to be an original Toyota air filter that goes in there, otherwise the warranty is void. They say, oh, well, this is not. This is not an authentic one, so we're not going to give you a warranty on that, you know? So that's what the word means. That's what authentic means. So now it's a big word, but I think you're big people, and I think you can stretch yourself with that. That's what we're looking for, an authentic, life-transforming community. And so um, how does God make our church community authentic? So there's another question for you, a forum question for you. How does God make our community authentic? Think about it. How does God make a church of people like us authentic? If, if his, his plan is to make us authentic, how does he do that? Mum's just about to say something, were you? I could see it all written all over your mouth. You're just about to move your mouth. Well, just wait until you get a microphone. I was going to say, through the works that the people in it do. Okay, through the works in it that the people do. So he's saying, God makes a church authentic by making its people authentic. You get that now. The church can never be anything that its people are not. The church can't hope to be authentic if we as people, individual people, are not authentic. If there's no realness about our lives, if we're fake, if we're hypocritical, if there's no validity in our lives, if there's no expression of, of, of trustworthiness and we're not reliable, if there's no hope that a church can be known as being authentic if the members of the church are inauthentic. If the members of the church are fake, if the members of the church don't look like what the, a Christian should look like. We want to have a, a life-changing, authentic, life-changing, a life-transforming church the way that we do that is each one of us individually have to take on a responsibility to be authentic before God. So that each one of us has that sense of reality about our lives. This, you, know, you know, these people are real. There's something real about their faith. There's something real about who they are. Anybody else got another idea? How would God make us authentic? Okay, David. Uh, by outworking his truth the, from our hearts into our outer actions. Exactly. And what David is saying is he, he takes the truth that God places in our hearts. So we read it from the Bible. We read it through the word of God. And God speaks to us into our hearts. So we, we are aware of what it's God's saying in our heart. And he says to us, now what are you going to do about that now? 
And then we say, okay, now what I'm going to do about that is I'm going to actually take what I've received in here and I'm going to work it out in my life. I'm going to start to do something about that. I mean, it's not going to go two days. It's not going to go three days. It's not going to go four days before I do something about it. I'm going to start to activate that now. I'm going to start to do something about that now. I'm going to start to do something now about that. Thank you, girls. So what makes us authentic? Oh, one more. Sorry. Sorry, Margaret. I like how God has made us each with um, our own fingerprints, our own hair follicles, and a heart that binds us all together to be one group, to follow him. And when we decide to do that, it is an instant occurrence where we become able to um, access all the things that he has provided for us. So you're looking at the group as a large and saying, look, we are so diverse, we are so different in the way that God has created us, as soon as we decide to work together as one, even though we are different, as soon as we begin to work together in unity, the authenticity of our group becomes immediate because just that working together because we're so diverse becomes an expression of what it really looks like in God. Yeah, no, that's good. Any other ideas? Okay, Len. Len. Thanks, Len. By removing is not authentic in the members and in the body uh, itself corporately okay so by he makes us authentic by purifying us or removing that which is inauthentic and he does that in our lives by saying you know this attitude that you have is not christian it is not what i want to see in your life and so you need to change that you need to transform that in your life and in 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 a church situation uh, it may be that People don't hold to those views or those beliefs and so they say, I can't handle it living here. These people believe this and I don't believe that, so I'm out of here. So they may, God may actually change the, the, the population by removing people that are, don't hold the same views as you. It's what, that's God, what God does. So anybody else? Is that it? Oh, great. First time. That's good. Hello again. Hello. brings me back to, to the first church as in um, for us to be doers of his word. The, the first church basically it was the meals on wheels, the you know, child care. Um, I was sharing with my daughter only a couple of days ago that we have the, the, the custom to, to ask people, how are you doing? But do we really care? Yeah. Because most of us say, I'm, I'm good. But many times we're not. And as Christians, we say, I'll pray for you, but we don't. Yeah. So I was teaching my daughter, I said, when we say we pray, we do it on the spot. You know, if you're on the password, because you get home, you won't do it. Yeah. So it's just being doers, I guess. Um, being that, doers. That's the first church was in, in, in the New Testament. Yeah. See, that's the original. You know, go back to the original. The original was in the New Testament church. The New Testament in the book of Acts, what did they do? You know, and, and, and James says, and James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he wrote this book, and he, he wrote it in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. If you, don't, if, if, you, if you say that you're going to do it and you don't do it, you just hear what the word of God says and don't do it. He says, it's like you look at your face in a mirror and you immediately forget who you are. Immediately you've forgotten. You're not authentic. You're not being who you are. You're not, you're not being who God made you to be. So that's exactly right. Being doers of the word. See, God has a problem with fake. Seriously has a problem with fake. 
God has a problem with fake. Thank you. Okay. Don't we have that one, God has a problem with fake up there? <laughs> there we are. <laughs> this is, have a look at these scriptures. And, wh- and what we'll do is we'll, um, we'll read this scripture here, Isaiah 29 verse 13. And because it's up on the screen, that means we can do this reading it all together. And I like that idea of doing corporate reading. Do you like that? Um, 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 Omid can practice his English reading. We can all read together with Omid. So why don't, we, why don't we read this together and just see what God thinks about that which is facadal, that which is a fake, that which is false. Okay, together with me read. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Now, there's a cross-reference to that in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 to 9. Actually, that's used again. Just look at that again. God is saying this. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. That's a, a, they have a verbal acknowledgement. He says, but their hearts, the, the core of them, he says, is far from me. I, they, they say all the right words. They've got the facade there. But inside, it's a thousand miles away, and God sees the heart. He knows what's in the heart. You can say whatever you like on your face. You can present whatever image you like towards other people. But God looks at the heart, and he sees what's on the inside of you, and he knows what's in your heart. He knows the core of you. And he, and he says, you can practice whatever you like. It just be practice of rules of men. You know, do the religious thing. Go to church on Sunday. Go to church on Sunday doesn't make you a Christian. Doing all the religious things doesn't make It's what's in the heart that makes the difference. And, and, and God says, I don't like fake. I'm looking straight into your heart and I'm seeing the core of you. Let's have a look at another scripture. It says a similar same thing. Solomon describes this. He was the wisest man that ever lived. Well, not quite. Jesus was the wisest man that ever lived, but Solomon was running pretty close. Let's read together what he says in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 3. Read with me. Like a coating of glaze over earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. Now, get the picture. We've all seen flower pots that are covered with glaze that are inside the full of just earthenware and you break them and you've got earthenware on the inside and the glaze is on the outside you know after a little while the glaze chips it gets worn down tiles are like that on the floor you you know if you had an opportunity to get a marble tile it doesn't ever wear out because it's marble all the way through but a a ceramic tile just got glaze on the top you walk over it for a couple of years and pretty soon the glaze wears through and you get back to the core issue the core issue is just earthenware so God's looking at this and 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 Solomon says you know what our hearts are sometimes like, they're like glaze over the top. And it's evil on the inside. Let's have another look at another scripture. Here's another scripture. Isaiah 58 verse 2. In this passage of scripture in Isaiah, Isaiah is actually confronting the Israelites. The Israelites were playing at church. He says, for day after day they seek me. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to me. So they had this appearance that they were eager. He goes on to say in verse 3, Yet on the day of your fasting you do not do as you please and exploit all your workers. 
Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. God says, I'm not going to answer your prayers if your religious duty is just a facade. You're just doing it on the outside. But on the inside, on the inside, you've actually got something else going on here. He says they're not really keen or not very worried about what's changing their hearts in terms of their relationship with other people. They're just doing the religious stuff and they expect God, when they do a fast, to sort of immediately do what he's meant to do. Come on, God, why aren't you working for me? Aren't I fasting for you? And he says, I'm looking at your heart. There's no difference in your heart. You're still belting each other up. You're still playing the wrong thing. You're still thinking the wrong thing. Don't think that the fast is going to actually change anything here. What's he say in the next verse? In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 30, the prophet Ezekiel talks about this, and he, he actually explains this, and he says, As for you, O son of man, your countrymen are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, saying to each other, Come and hear the message that, our, that has come from the Lord. So he, he's saying, oh, The Israelites were gathering around Ezekiel. They thought he was a pretty good guy. He's actually speaking God's words. And they're all excited about the words that Ezekiel is preaching. The next verse tells us, My people come to you, as they usually do. They sit before you to listen to your words. They, they do not put them into practice. With their mouths they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. So he says they're quite happy to come to church and listen to the words, but there's a difference between what's happening in their hearts and what's happening in their heads. He goes on to say, Indeed, to them you are nothing more than one who sings a love song with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument, for they hear your words and do not put them into practice. So exactly it's what our friend was just saying there. It's that authenticity in our lives is not measured by what we hear or the image that we present or the way that we come together and do our religious deeds. Authenticity is shown by our actions, by living out the thing that we believe from the inside. That's how we become authentic. Okay, let's go on. In Titus chapter 1, verse 16, Titus says this, and he, he looks at the church and he says, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. That means there's a difference between what they claim with their lips and what they do with their lives. Their actions, which comes from your beliefs, you live out your beliefs. He says, their actions deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. That's a pretty rough, rough line. You know, you, you, when you think about that and you think, you know, well, God's watching this. This is a real problem. This is a real problem in our society. So what's the problem here? The point is, the point is that authenticity is lived doctrine. It's not spoken doctrine. It's lived doctrine. Authenticity, authenticity is practiced truth. Not taught truth. It's practiced truth. Authenticity is beliefs expressed through lifestyle. That's what authenticity is. It's beliefs expressed through the way you live. So what's the problem with our society? Well, in our society, words are plenteous. We have uh, media. There is media everywhere, TV, radio. And in that media, there is so many words. In fact, if you, I listened to an advert the other day I was talking about insurance and of course they have this fine print that they have to read through in about three seconds. You know the one, you know? 
if you get this, in the, the conditions apply, you know, and, and they, they, they say it as fast as they can, as quickly as they can, and get through it, because they have to say all these words before the end of the picture, you know. That's the way it goes. They're putting all those words. And so what happens to the hearer is the, the hearer says, I'm listening to words, but words you don't have to listen to because they're just words. And the hearer stops hearing. It listens but doesn't hear. So our society has actually produced this. We've we got visual things happening in front of us. We've got so many, and, but we have learned not to listen. So they, they can warn us with a sign, you know, warning, warning, but we just keep on going our own way, doing our own thing, because we have this universal doubt. We doubt what people are saying to us. So how does that affect the church? Our society doubts everything because we, are lear- we learn to question everything. We learn to question, you know, here's an advert. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know until this new improved sliced bread comes out. You know, so we doubt now the first one. You know, you know, we have to eat margarine because margarine is better for you until they, they coin the thing. Butter is better, you know, and then we don't know what's better. Is it margarine or butter? You know, we, we, well, we don't know anymore. We just doubt everything. So our church is a little bit like that. Our church presents a whole lot of ideas, and of course the church presenting a whole lot of ideas, and people have learned not to listen, and they just listen to the words. And the church has become authentic. It doesn't, it doesn't present anything to us. It presents an image, a facade, but there's really no life change. And we know we, there's no life change because we can go to the polls, we can go to the stats, and we can find in the stats that the same sort of occurrences of all the evils that occur in society actually occur within the church. There is no difference in terms of the way we live in the church than the way we live in the world the same rate of divorce that happens in the churches the same rate of divorce happens in the churches the things that are, are just rampant through there is no difference any longer salt has no longer salt and light is no longer light we have lost our authenticity okay so how have we lost our authenticity we have lost that which is truth go back We've become fake or copied. You know how we, we copy the world. We do what the world does. We do it in the church, just so we look like we're relevant, so we look like we're modern. We're untrustworthy. We say we're going to do something, and then we never follow through. You know, we, we, we talk about Jesus changing, changing lives, and yet Jesus never changes anybody's lives. We don't see any changed lives. You say, why does this bad stuff happen in the church? It shouldn't happen in the church. We're meant to be Christians here. We're meant to believe differently. You know, why does it happen in the church? So the question of whether the, the, the validity of the message is actually there, it becomes questionable. You know, there's no real life change here. There's nothing really substantially taking place here. We're all just caught with the same stuff. So it's not trustworthy. We're ineffective. We're invalid with, with so many things around us, so many problems. that We have not changed the world. The world, the world has changed us. There's an invalidity about our message. It's like, you know, well, you know, is it really true, you know? It's ineffective. And sometimes we're, it's something other than what it was in the New Testament. What was happening in the New Testament just isn't happening now. And, and, and I think that's because the devil's been working hard. Guys, the demonic world has been actively undoing the authenticity of the church. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, what we have is a scripture says, The woe to you, inhabitants of the earth, because the devil has come down and he's thrashing around because he knows his days are short. 
we have this situation happening in our society where the demonic forces around in our society are so up their ante, it's surprising that any of us are going to survive till Jesus comes back. The idea that truth is safe now is completely gone. Truth is always safe if you believe it and practice it, but you know, truth has been corroded by everything now. And so he's been doing this by undermining some basic values. And here are the values that he's undermined. Here's six values that were found in uh, Barnard's um, idea of... He's a, Barnard group is a, a group of, that does statistics amongst believers to find out what's happening in the church. The Barnard group sort of uh, did some study of what, uh, what's been corroded in, in people's lives and said, you know... If you take the American population, the American population, less than 1% of adults have a biblical worldview. Now, a biblical worldview is something that says there are absolute morals, the Bible is inerrant, Satan is a real being, you can't earn your way to heaven, Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, and evolution is not true. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. That's a biblical worldview, those six basic points. So what the devil's been quick at doing and what has happened in the church, he's undermined the foundations of faith. So we have no longer moral absolutes. We don't have anything that we believe is true any longer. It's like, you know, whatever's right for you is right for you. Whatever's right for me is right for me. You know, do whatever you like. There are no moral principles on which we can build life and society. The Bible is full of errors, so why even believe it? You know, you, you, you know what about this and what about that? He just corroded this whole idea that the Word of God is the Word of God. Satan is not a real being. In fact, there is no Satan. There is no spiritual life. It's all just, you know, just bad stuff, bad omen, bad karma, whatever. But it's not, there is no real Satan. There's no real spiritual being called Satan. And you can earn your way into heaven just by doing good stuff. You know, if you're good and there's a big set of scales in the sky, you know, and God will weigh you on one side and weigh on the other side. And if you're better than Hitler, then you're going to get there. If you're not as bad, if you're worse than Hitler, you'll probably go to hell. As though Hitler was the gauge. And Jesus Christ was just a man like, like Muhammad was a man, like all the others were a man. He was just a guy. He wasn't God in the flesh. And evolution is true. Absolutely true. That theory is solid. It's true. Science is in. Don't question it any longer. So he's been doing that, corroding into the church, undermining that, to the point where he's destroyed the biblical worldview. He's taken away the authenticity of the church. The Barna group states that 75% of Christian young people leave the church after high school. 75%. That's three quarters of the people that, kids that are in church will leave the church after they hit high school, after they left high school. They just go. So um, all our young people between, um, say, between you know, 15 and 20 stand up. I'm serious. Just stand up now for a little while. So one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, we have one here. 14, is he? You can stand up too. 12, stand up, yeah. And you, you can stand up as well. All the young ones stand up. Now let's have a look around. Phoebe, that's you as well. So how many we got there? Oh, and, and, and whoop, Richard. It's 10. So there's 10 kids there. Take seven and a half out. That leaves three. 11. Okay, sit down. That means at the end of high school, there'll be three left. Just three left. You've got to bring it back to what it's going to look like in this fellowship. 
to understand what the statistics are telling us. It says less than 1% of adults in America have a biblical worldview. Now, that's, that's, that's a lot, you know. But the worst finding is, is between those who are 18 and 23 in the church. Young people between 18 and 23, less than half a percent have a, a worldview, a biblical worldview, less than half a percent. So it's less than 0.5 of a percent have, and they're in church, have a biblical worldview. It means that they believe that God is, Jesus is God. They believe that creation was there. They, they believe that the word of God is near it. They believe that the devil is a real person. They believe that there are moral absolutes. Less than half a percent. So what does it tell us? What's the key reason for this? The key reason for this is intellectual skepticism or doubt. Doubt. We just doubt it. We doubt everything. We've been taught to doubt everything. A thing in our, in our universities is called universal doubt. It's just like you question everything that's ever written down and you ask the question, why is this so? And, you, and science is a science of doubt. We question everything. There are no absolute conditions. Nothing is ever right. Nothing is ever solid. It is always questioned. It was always brought to a place where we will test and test it. So we will test it till, till we will destroy it. So, how is it that our young people have been affected so? Well, listen to what the stats tell us about young people and how much time they spent in front of things. Kids spend 30 hours in public schools where they're taught ideas contrary to biblical truth. So evolution is right and homosexuality is right and all those other things that they're taught. They spend at least 30 hours a week doing that. They go home and they spend another 30 hours in front of TV, in front of Facebook, listening to sitcoms in which they're... They're fed immoral advertisements, raunchy stuff. They, they're fed uh, morals that are uh, perverted. They, they, they spend time on their Facebook where their peers reinforce their beliefs. So they have 60 hours of education that is other than Bible education. And kids today spend 45, average in church, kids spend 45 minutes in a Bible-based teaching opportunity. 45 minutes, that may be your time in Sunday school, it may be your time in youth group, it may be part of your time in a midweek Bible study, that's all. You've got 45 minutes out of all the week where you're spending your whole life listening to all the wrong stuff and all the wrong messages. You spend 45 minutes out of the, how many hours in a week? Sorry, a lot. You spend 45 minutes just with God teaching. So is it any wonder that our young people have questioned everything that they stood upon? Is there any wonder that we are questioning other values? Is there any wonder that the church has lost its authenticity if it's lost its moral bone, if it's lost its beliefs, if the beliefs have been questioned, have been corroded? Is there any wonder that our young people will leave the church and go and, and pursue their own things and become lost to the, to the faith? Is there any wonder when they spend every week 60 hours listening to all the wrong stuff and only spend 45 minutes putting some moral basis in their lives. That, that's the stats. That's what's actually happening here. Think about that. Why is this a problem? We say, well, we want our children to take over the next generation and bring Jesus to the next generation. You know what? There won't be any children left. There won't be any children left because the the devil's marking children to kill them. He takes them out. And unless we wake up to that, 
It's our responsibility, not the children's responsibility to get a dynamic faith. It's our responsibility to communicate to the children a dynamic, authentic faith. We, we can't expect our children to have more moral bone than we do. If we have no moral bone, our children will have less than that. That's the way it goes. What does this say to us as parents? Seriously, we've got to ask ourselves the question. If we want to be a, an, a life-changing, authentic, life-changing community, what does that say to us as parents? Listen to what it says. Here's some stats. For example, one particular study found that both parents, when both parents are faithful in church, that means they're faithful in church and active in church. They are in the church, they're active in the church working for God. 93% of their children will be found in the fellowship after high school. When just one parent is faithful, I mean, so there's not two, just one. Solo mums here, no dads or solo dads, no mums. When one person is faithful and active in church, so they're in church, faithful and active in church, 73, or what is it? 63, 73, 73% of their children will remain resolute in their faith. They'll stay there. That's, that's good. Just with one of you standing there and, 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 and doing the thing that you know you have to do and teaching the right stuff, yeah, 73% of our kids will remain resolute in their faith. On the flip side, when neither adult is active in the church, but they're present in the church, but not active in the church, so it's coming to church on a weekly basis, but not being active in the church. The stats tell us that 50, 53% of your kids are going to stay. That means 47% of your children are going to leave. You just come to church on a weekly basis, but don't be, don't be active in the church. 47%, nearly 50% of the chance of your children are going to walk by the time they reach the end of high school. That's scary stuff. Now, here's the real scary stuff. If you are not regular, neither parent is regular in church, just come occasionally to church, just drop in occasionally. And, you know, here we are, not active in the church, but just attending the church occasionally. The stats tell us that 6% of your children are going to remain. 94% of them are going to leave. So if you've got 10 kids, not even one. 6%. Now, those stats are scary. Barnard's group actually studied and surveyed to get those stats. So that's a case of what is. Not as a case of what could be. That's a case of what is. This is what is happening. So we ask ourselves, how do I become a life-changing, authentic community? The, the onus really is upon God changing me. How do we express authenticity in our lives? How does God affect that in our lives? God has to change us individually. If he changes us individually, then we will have an influence on the lives of our children and it will change our children. You know, there is no place to hide in this thing. If, God, if you want to be part of an authentic church, you yourself has to be authentic. You know, there are the, the ramifications of your inauthenticity will be seen in your children. That's what the stats tell us. Now, I want to I wanna just, uh, we, 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 we'd be discussing Facebook. We had uh, little, little uh, Shandell's gorgeous girls staying with us for a week. And, of course, there was a Facebook issue that came up. We talked about Facebook and stuff like that. And so we were discussing Facebook. Facebook. And Liz told me a story about um, uh, an incident in Faith, 
Facebook at a school. And so I wanted to share because it, it, it tends to build this idea of authenticity and the reestablishment of values in, in individuals' lives. So could you tell us that story about Facebook and Claudia and what you had there? So um, there were a couple of girls at Claudia's school in the high school who um, were chased by some pedophile predators on the internet and specifically through to Facebook and they were successful. So um, Claudia's school felt like they needed to act on that and sent out a number of people to come and speak to the girls and to speak to us as parents. Yeah? No. And so this lady who was working for the police force and her job was to hunt down pedophiles on the internet came and spoke to um, all the classes so came and spent um, a few hours with Claudia's class. She's in year seven. And then that night, the parents were invited to come along. So I went along to listen to this lady to see what she had to say. And she was telling me that she went into Claudia's classroom and she said to these year sevens, um, I'd like you to stand up if you have a Facebook account. So approximately 60 to 70% of Claudia's class stood up. And then she said, if you're 13 and over, you can sit down. So two or three of the girls sat down. So we still have approximately half of Claudia's class who are less than 13 who have Facebook accounts. And then she said to them, when you log on to Facebook, it asks you how old you are and you need to put in your date of birth. And then it says, if you're less than 13, you're not allowed to use Facebook. So she said to these girls, how old did you say you were? And she went around the room and she got 15, 16, 18, 18, 17. Most of them were saying 16 or 17. So she said, you started with a lie. So you've already started opening up a Facebook account with a lie, an inauthentic profile. So they've started up this profile by saying they're 17 or they're 18. Now that's only the beginning. You see, now you have to put a picture onto Facebook so the girls have said they're 17 or 18. They're only 12, these girls, 11 and 12. But they said that they were 17 or 18. So they've got to make the world believe that they're 17 or 18. So then they go back and they get all dolled up and they do their hair and they do their makeup and they take these kind of sexy pictures which make them look like 17 or 18 and put their, those photos on their Facebook page to say, see, here, I'm 17, I'm 18. I look like I'm 17 or 18 and these girls look like they're 16 or 17. So it goes on. And the problem, I guess, started with this inauthentic beginning of their identity when they're asked the question, how old are you? And then once it starts, where does it stop? So these girls now use these Facebook accounts daily, they said, at the age of 11 and 12. They've said that they're 16. The picture shows that they look like they're 16. Now they act like they're 16 in their interactions on the internet, which is perfect for the pedophiles who like to groom these girls because they know exactly what to say to these girls. So I guess when I was discussing this idea of an authentic community and us being authentic and being real and being the people we're meant to be in our true identity, when we talked about this idea of Facebook, it seems like a good example from the world that says once you start being authentic, inauthentic, once you start the lying, the problem is it continues on. Then you start to be consistent with the lie, with this new identity that you've created on Facebook, which is really the hub of kids' social lives. 
So it's a sad, sad thing to see that from a very young age, our children are being um, lured into being inauthentic in who they are and who they say they are and who they pretend to be. And it then becomes easy for them to step into that fake identity. So that was the story. So what you have there is you have this problem though. You see, if you started now, if you've started in this process and your child has come to you and said, can I open up a, a Facebook account? And you know that it says, um, you know, you've got to be 13 and over. And then you think, oh, well, it's only just a little white lie. You know, I don't, you know all his friends have got a Facebook account or we just go with it. The minute you actually say, okay, we'll tell a little white lie on here and say that you're older than you are just so that you can have the privilege of having Facebook, you have made your faith inauthentic. Your child looks at you and says, you know what? You want me to tell the truth, but it, you know, in this situation, it's okay to tell a lie. So you've actually said, you know, I believe in moral principles. I believe in telling the truth. And you'll beat them if they tell you a lie, but you're willing to lie because it makes it easier for you to do something like that. Now, the devil does that not once, not twice, Hundreds and hundreds of times every day. He comes and brings us into a situation where as parents we're asked to undermine our faith or undermine our values. Where it's easier for us to play a relative's life, our relative values, than it is for us to stand up and present what we really truly believe. He continues to do that so that he continues to register in the minds of the young ones coming up that your faith is just nonsense. It doesn't mean anything. It's not authentic because you're not willing to die for it. You will cave in at the first little push. So you say, oh, no more TV, and then they're able to push you, and you can give them more TV. You'll say, you know, certain limits on the boundaries of this, and you say, they push you, and you, you give away. You, you are not disciplined, you're not authentic, your word is not true, you're just a liar, so what you believe is a lie too. Everything that the word of God says that you, you hold up and say, this is what the word of God, they've learned over the period of time, because you've not been consistent, that it's inauthentic. It's not real. It really doesn't matter. And in the end of the exercise, in the end of the exercise, it's not worth dying for. It's not worth believing. You know, we've got to ask ourselves this question. Do we really want to be authentic? Because if we really want to be authentic, where does it start? Where does authentic Start. Go back to that one. Where does being real start? Not being fake or false or copied. Being trustworthy and reliable. Being valid and effective. Being like a, a New Testament. Where does it start? When are we to be authentic? Can you tell me? When are we to be authentic? When? All the time. We're meant to be authentic now. You know, we have to be in the now. And, you know, not tomorrow I'll be authentic. You know, after I get over this little rough patch and I'm just letting them do what they please now because I'm stressed and I'm going through some hard times, you know, so I'll let them get away with that. You know, I'll pull the wool, I'll pull the ropes and later on, 
No, you better pull the ropes in now because if you don't pull the ropes in now, you're inauthentic in your faith and in the fact, in the fit, inauthentic in your practice. And they're going to say, you know, later on, you know, you didn't do it then, so why are you doing it now? You're a hypocrite anyway. I mean, this is hard for us to... But listen, what are we losing? What are we losing in our lives? We're losing our precious little children. We're losing... The babies, we're losing those beautiful gifts that God gave us and we're losing them. The reason we're losing because of our lack of inauthenticity. We speak with our mouths, we sing with our lips, we say, well, come to church and do that. But you know, when it comes to the practice of putting it into practice, it's quite another thing. And God says, I'm looking at your heart. I want to be part of an authentic, life-transforming community. He says, well, Mark, you be authentic. Don't just say it with your mouth. You live it with your life. Don't, don't expect everybody else. You do it now and do it right now when you are alone. When, do we, when are we authentic? Where do we be authentic? Well, wherever you are. If you're by yourself at home. No one can see you at home. No one can see what you're watching. No one can see what you're doing. No one's there to check up on you. You've got the time by yourself. You know, Only God is seeing you. How authentic is your faith? When you are by yourself, when no one else can see, when you're living in front of your neighbours who you get, don't get along with, when you're in front of your families, is it a different story? You come to church and it's all facade, it's all nice, everybody's in, you go home and, ah, shut up! You da, da, da. Is it like that? No, you know... In front of your peers. You know, you're one thing in front of church and Uncle Mark and this and everybody else. It's all nice. But when you go to your peers, it's, oh, right, 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 right. And it's like you're another person. Who is this person? You know, if mum could see you now. Whoo, the thing that you're talking about. Wow. Do we really want to be authentic? I want to be. I really want to be. So I have to do work with me. Because I'm busted. I'm broken. There are times that I'm not authentic. At times I struggle with doing the right thing, you know. I know what the right thing is to do, but I've got too much anger and resentment and bitterness and all those things that come when you get hurt. I get that, it's all up inside of me and I don't want to do the right thing. I don't want to be nice, be Christian. I'd rather hold a grudge and say bad words about somebody and slander them rather than to be nice. It's hard inside of me. I think, oh, I just look at that and I think, oh, to be authentic, you have to bless them that persecute you, bless and curse not. Oh, I don't want to bless them. I want them to drop down on their face and get wounded. But, you know, what are we doing here? What are we doing? God has taken us through a jungle this year. But what's he doing in us? What's he building in us? What's he wanting to bring out in us? You know what he wants to bring out in us? authenticity he wants us to be real and after the fire has gone through there's nothing but 
pure gold remaining. That's what he's wanting. Are you with me? You want that? Well, if you want that, let's stand and we'll pray and ask God to give us that. Father, you've challenged our hearts. You've spoken into our lives. You've asked us and called us to a place of transparency before you, Father. You've called us to be, not to speak, but to be. Father, you've called us to do. You've called us to live a life that's authentic in you. And Father, we know that we cannot do this by ourselves. We need you, Holy Spirit. Father, we ask that you'd strengthen us as people in this fellowship to be authentic this week. Show us the things that we need to change, the things that we need to do to change our lives, to be transformed into your image. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name and everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.